0: The second reading is from Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 17 and going to verse 42. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail." But if it is from God, you will not only be able to stop these men, you will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah.
1: Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Isaac and I'm one of the youth pastors here at Richmond Anglican and it's my privilege to be able to open the word of the Lord today with you. We're continuing our series at the Book of Acts as we're following this unstoppable gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. Please pray with me now that God will be with us as we look at his word together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, please be with us now. Open our hearts, shape our minds, our hearts and our souls to be more like you. And Lord, in the next 20 minutes or so, grow, and af- grow our affection and love for your Son, Jesus, through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we have been looking through the book of Acts, we've been looking at and have named this series, The Unstoppable Gospel. Despite so many different things and different people trying to hinder the spread of the gospel, it just keeps on going and changing lives wherever it goes. But why is the gospel unstoppable? What is the driving force behind the gospel, which means that nothing can stand in its way? Well, that's what this passage today is going to answer for us last week with Rick's talk, we looked at how corruption and evil inside the church cannot stop the spread of the gospel. We pick up this passage today with just before the passage starts from verse 12. The apostles they're performing performing many signs and miracles among the people. Crowds are gathering from nearby towns they're bringing their sick to the apostles to be healed. And we see in verse 17 that this makes the high priest and his associates very, very jealous. So these Jewish leaders, they leverage their power and put the apostles in jail. But something happens as we read on. Uh, As they're in jail, God sends one of his angels to release them. From jail, they come out, and we learn why. Why did God send an angel to release them from jail? Well, look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. It says, So that the apostles can go back to the temple courts and continue to tell the people about this new life that the gospel brings. They're released from jail so they can go back and tell more people about the gospel. We see here that the gospel cannot be stopped by imprisonment then later on in verse 12 we see that the apostles after being released from prison and continuing to proclaim the gospel they're brought in for questioning by the sanhedrin the chief jewish authority they are reminded that they have been given strict orders not to teach in the name of jesus and the apostles reply is the same as it has been previously We will do what God says and not what you say. And so here we see that the gospel cannot be stopped by those in authority, whether civil or religious. It can't be stopped by orders, laws, rules or decrees. As we read on, we see that the Sanhedrin flog the apostles in verse 40. They are whipped for continuing to teach about Jesus. And then again, they are ordered not to speak in this name of Jesus. We see that whipping, beating, and suffering cannot stop the spread of the gospel. And the apostle's response to this near the end of the passage is pretty extraordinary, I think. Have a look at verse 41. It says, the apostles rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. We see here that disgrace, embarrassment and pain doesn't even stop the spread of the gospel. The apostles are determined to continue to tell people about this message, this message of Jesus. So what is it, what is it about this message that is so compelling, so important, so powerful that no amount of authority, imprisonment, orders, corruption, directions, whippings, beatings, disgrace, pain can stop it? What is it about this message? Well, the answer is buried in this passage in the discourse between the members of the Sanhedrin when they're trying to decide what to do with this Jesus. Uh, In 2019, I went to Hawaii with uh, my wife uh, on our honeymoon. Uh, This was before COVID, so we just got in. And as my wife and I were walking down Waikiki Beach, I saw someone in the distance that looked vaguely familiar to me. And I asked Megan, is that really him? Do you think that's him? Do you recognize him too? She's like, oh yeah, I think that's him. And as we walked along the beach... It turned out it was. It was Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister of Australia, sitting on Waikiki Beach at sunset with his wife and two kids, no one else around, drinking a cocktail. And so I went and I said hello, we exchanged pleasantries, and then we went on our way, and I was struck how there was no one else around him. There was no security, no police, no bodyguards, no big crowds. It seems like we were the only people there who knew who this Scott Morrison was or who even cared who he was. He wasn't important enough. He wasn't famous enough. He wasn't well-known enough. He wasn't powerful enough for anyone in Hawaii to care at all who he was. In this passage in Acts, we see the Sanhedrin deliberating and discussing what to do with these troublesome apostles who keep defying their orders not to teach in the name of Jesus. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, he stands up and he says this from verse 35, follow along in your Bibles. It says this, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Theodus appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So I want to ask you, have you heard of Thutis? Have you heard of Judas the Galilean, apart from this passage in Acts? I suspect not, unless you're a very conscientious uh, studier of Josephus, the historian. I suspect not. Both these men led Jewish revolts in the first centuries. They tried to convince other Jews to follow them, their revolts and movements rose and then fell very quickly. They failed. No one else knows who they are. No one follows them today. And Gamaliel, he says to the Sanhedrin that they have nothing to worry about because of this movement of those who say they follow this Jesus of Nazareth is of human origin, he says, It will fail miserably. No one will know who this Jesus is soon. The movement will rise and it'll fall and no one will remember him. But, he says, but if this movement is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only have yourselves fighting against God. I suspect that in 2,000 years, no one will know, nor care, nor give any consideration to Scott Morrison. And what I learned in Hawaii is that no one cares or gives any consideration to him today, beyond our borders. He's just not that important. His message is not that compelling. And people are not convinced, right? No one will care about him. Gamaliel, he convinces the Sanhedrin to take the time will tell approach to this message of the gospel, to the good news about Jesus. Time will tell, he says, about this man called Jesus. Time will tell if he really rose from the dead. Time will tell if God is really behind this movement. Well, what has time told? Across the globe today, almost 2.4 billion people profess to believe in the name of Jesus for the salvation of their souls. The name of Jesus, the gospel, has been declared to nearly every single nation on earth. I stand here today in a building on the other side of the world, to where Acts was written, in a country that the people who were writing Acts hadn't even discovered Yet, and I give this talk from this building that was built for the sole purpose of giving glory to God on the other side of the world 2,000 years later. And the good news of Jesus, first proclaimed by the apostles in Jerusalem, as we read in Acts, continues to transform lives, communities, and nations. In China, in Africa, in South America, amongst our indigenous people, the gospel is for everyone and continues. To flourish. And in the lives of you all listening to this here in Richmond, who follow Jesus and who live by the Spirit, I can see God at work through you, through how you live your lives. I can see the truth of the gospel by how much this message has impacted you. Gamaliel here in this passage has answered our question for us why is the gospel unstoppable? And the answer is this. The gospel is unstoppable because it is the good news from God himself. And the gospel will continue to flourish, not because of our own efforts, our own work, our own charisma, but because it is God's gospel. Jesus said to the Apostle Peter, he said this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gospel is unstoppable because it is God himself building his church. Jesus declares there, I will build my church. So how does that reassurance that the gospel is unstoppable because it's God's power itself compelling it, how does that affect how the apostles live ...and spread the news of Jesus? And how should it affect our lives today? And how should it affect how we spread the gospel to others? Personally, I think the natural reaction... ...to this fact that the gospel is unstoppable... ...because it is God behind it... ...my natural reaction is to be arrogant. It's to be chuffed. We know that God's in control. We know that it is His gospel... We know that it is unstoppable. So to live in light of that would mean to be arrogant about it, right? To boast about it. It would lead us to be proud. But as is the case with the gospel, everything we expect is flipped on its head. Have a look at Acts 5 from verse 40, continuing straight on from Gamaliel's speech. We'll see what happens to the apostles. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So how are the apostles' lives changed because of this fact? What are their life, what's their life like now that we know that God is behind this gospel? What's the first thing that happens to them then? They were flogged. You see that? They were flogged. And then in verse 41, it says, They rejoiced... ...because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace. They rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace. For the apostles, the unstoppability of the gospel meant that they were flogged... ...but still rejoiced in that suffering and continued to tell people about Jesus... Our response to the unstoppable gospel is not to be arrogant. It's not to be boastful or prideful, but instead to rejoice in the suffering that the gospel's going to bring. To rejoice in suffering. Now today, we might not be whipped or physically beaten or stoned for declaring the good news of Jesus, but I'm sure many of us have, and will suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. We will have our names dragged through the dirt. We'll have our bosses at work think we're silly. We'll have our careers stunted. We'll be ridiculed by that one family member hostile to the gospel. I personally find that reality so hard. Yet the command to us here is to rejoice in that suffering. Our response to the unstoppability of the gospel is to be humble, lowering ourselves and rejoicing in the disgrace that the gospel might bring to us. And this should be reassuring to us. We know now that our suffering of disgrace, our loss of reputation, our embarrassment, slander against us, doesn't show that the gospel is false. It doesn't show that the gospel is silly. In Acts 5, we see the unstoppability of the gospel. We know it is unstoppable because it is God behind it. And it says that the natural reaction, the thing we should expect from this unstoppability of the gospel, is suffering disgrace because of it. It doesn't show that the gospel's false, it shows that it's true. And our rejoicing in that suffering will proclaim to others around us the truth of the gospel. That we are so sure of the firm foundation of the good news of Jesus that we will happily suffer disgrace, personal embarrassment, slander because of it. That was very compelling to the early church. the people in Acts, that these apostles were happy to suffer disgrace and pain for this gospel. And I think that's very compelling to our world today. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, why? Why do we have to be humble? Why do we have to rejoice in suffering as Christians? Well, We're to be humble because the gospel's power, the message of the gospel, is grounded in Jesus' own humility. Right? The message of the gospel that God Himself lowered Himself to earth, made Himself nothing, and brought salvation to the whole world through His own suffering and death. That the all powerful, omnipotent God would lower Himself. For us, we see here in Acts that the way we spread this good news about Jesus is the same. That we can bring salvation through this good news of Jesus through our own suffering and rejoicing in that suffering. Saint Paul, when speaking to the church in Philippi, makes this exact point. That we are to be humble because God's power, the gospel's power, comes from Jesus' own humility. And we should strive to be like him because of that. Let me finish with those words from Paul to the church in Philippi, Philippi, the Christ, hymn. It says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thanks for joining us.